Welcome to the Michigan Constitution Podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, here's Tony. Welcome back to the second installment of the Michigan Constitution Podcast. This time, I want to talk about the 12 different articles of the Michigan Constitution and start digging into Article 1, the Declaration of Rights. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article section, we'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what this podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law, I practice administrative law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post the podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan Constitutional Scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd do better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8-Ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for their Lawyer Referral Service Program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal matter. Over the course of this podcast, we'll eventually discuss the following articles and their respective sections. If I were to draft this as a syllabus, I say that each article is a chapter of a book. Within each chapter of the book, there are categories to break up the chapter into small, consumable pieces. While I won't go through every section of each of the 12 articles right now, I will in time. Suffice it to say, for now, the 12 articles of the Michigan Constitution are as follows. Article 1, Declaration of Rights. Article 2, Elections. Article 3, General Government. Article 4, Legislative Branch. Article 5, Executive Branch. Article 6, Judicial Branch. Article 7, Local Government. Article 8, Education. Article 9, Finance and Taxation. Article 10, Property. Article 11, Public Officers and Employment. And finally, Article 12, Amendments and Revision. The powers of a state government are unrestricted except for the limitations as placed on them by the state constitution. The purpose of any Bill of Rights is to expressly lay out the basic individual liberties that the people of Michigan intend to be protected from impairment by the actions of our government. We've learned since elementary school the concept of the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution as, quote-unquote, the Bill of Rights. So why do we have it in the Michigan Constitution as well? We'll discuss that, but the quick and dirty answer is that we've decided as residents of Michigan that we want concurrent protection for our individual liberties, which are also protected by the United States Constitution. We want, essentially, to belt and suspender our protections. 
we get those protections as afforded to us via the United States Constitution, but also as protected under the Michigan Constitution against actions taken by Michigan's government. As a matter of fact, the benefit to this is we actually give ourselves more individual liberty protections under the Michigan Constitution than we get under the United States Constitution. Well, how can that be? Remember, the United States Constitution is the minimum protection that must be afforded to us by the federal government. But if the residents of Michigan want to give themselves even more protection pursuant to the Michigan Constitution, that's completely acceptable. However, it should be noted that the Michigan Supreme Court is reluctant to force the Michigan Constitution to contain more rights within the document than was the intent of the framers of the 1963 Constitutional Convention. The Constitution is a document which is to be interpreted as the provisions have been written. This has long been the understanding of the Michigan Supreme Court, starting in 1884, when Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court Thomas M. Cooley stated in People v. Harding that, quote, In seeking for its real meaning, we must take into consideration the times and circumstances under which the state constitution was formed, the general spirit of the times, and the prevailing sentiments among the people, unquote. He went on to say, quote, Every constitution has a history of its own, which is likely to be more or less peculiar, and unless interpreted in the light of this history, is liable to be made to express purposes which were never within the minds of the people in agreeing to it. This, the court must keep in mind, when called upon to interpret it, for their duty is to ensure the law which the people have made, and not some other law which the words of the constitution may possibly be made to express." Unquote. Although, in today's age of legislating from the bench, Chief Justice Cooley made clear to his brethren and those who would come after him to only interpret the Michigan Constitution as those that voted for the Constitution understood the provisions to mean at the time of ratification. How to interpret the Constitution has been evaluated in a number of court cases, one of which was People v. Nash in 1983, when the Michigan Supreme Court, referring back to Chief Justice Cooley, reiterated his argument and held, and, and I'm essentially paraphrasing here, folks, our task is to divine the common understanding of the provisions of the Michigan Constitution, to give it the same meaning which reasonable minds and the great mass of people themselves would give the provisions meaning. Furthermore, that words are to be given their ordinary meaning and regard must also be given to the circumstances leading to the adoption of the provision and the purpose sought to be accomplished. But the Michigan Supreme Court has also ruled that the Michigan Constitution will not be used as a weapon against one another. They reviewed the request in 1985 in the case of Woodland versus Michigan Citizens Lobby when a liberal interest group, that being Michigan Citizens Lobby, attempted to collect petition signatures in privately owned malls throughout Michigan. The Woodland Mall maintained a strict written trespass policy prohibiting any activity in the shopping center that is not directly related to the enhancement of commercial retail sales, which the tenants and merchants rely upon and expect Woodland to enforce, including soliciting, petitioning, securing signatures, speech-making, distributing handbills, and other similar activity. So let's talk about the Woodland case. On April 1st, 1982, 
the director of the Citizens Lobby, notified the management of Woodland Mall that members of the Michigan Citizens Lobby would gather signatures at the mall on April 3, 1982. The mall informed him of its policy against such activity, but on April 3rd, the director and members of the citizens' lobby entered the Woodland Mall to solicit signatures for the initiative petition. They were met at the entrance by a security guard who told them that they were not permitted to enter the shopping center for soliciting purposes. They were also met by the center manager who denied them access to the mall for their intended activities. Nevertheless, the citizens' lobby entered the mall and set up three card tables and signs announcing their presence and purpose in the center of the mall and began soliciting signatures. The mall manager informed them that they were on private property and asked them to leave. They refused to leave, and members of the citizen lobby continued soliciting signatures until 6 p.m. and announced that they would return on April 9th and 10th and thereafter for the same purpose. We're fundamentally talking about what we understand to be the right of free speech and right to assemble. Do the provisions of the Michigan Constitution include an implied state action limitation, or are these provisions directly applicable against private entities as well? It's clear that a state may, through its police powers, adopt reasonable restrictions on the use of private property. This is why you can't cook meth and operate dogfights in your basement. Those sorts of restrictions are seen as reasonable. Our Michigan Supreme Court opined it was firmly established doctrine that constitutionally guaranteed individual rights are written to restrict governmental conduct and to provide protection from governmental infringement and excesses. And even this concept is not unique to the Federal Bill of Rights. The Michigan Constitution's Declaration of Rights provisions have never been interpreted as extending to purely private conduct. These provisions have consistently been interpreted as limited to protection against state actions. More so, the Michigan Supremes found that the Michigan Constitutional Convention supported the proposition that the reach of individual rights afforded by the Michigan Constitution was limited to protection against government that the goal of the drafters for the general proposition was that the state declaration of rights was concerned solely with governmental infringement and leaves regulation of private conduct to the legislature. It should also be noted that the United States Constitution grants limited authority to the federal government to exercise only those powers that have been expressly or impliedly delegated to it. On the other hand, state constitutions serve as limitations on the otherwise plenary power of state governments. Sidebar. Plenary power means a power that has been granted to a body in absolute terms with no review of or limitation upon the exercise of that power. So to say that a state constitution serves to act as a limitation is to say that without the constitution limiting its action, the state could otherwise act without limitation on anything that it has been afforded to that state by the United States Constitution. Remember, there are a slew of powers a state has as granted by the United States Constitution, but the people of each state, they may have limited those powers via their state constitution. Therefore, just because the federal constitution says it's okay for a state to do something, the people of Michigan can limit the state's action via the Michigan Constitution. The court ultimately held that 
unless otherwise expressed, constitutionally guaranteed protections are applicable only against government. They found no indication or authorization that the people of this state, in adopting the 1963 Constitution, intended its provisions to apply against private parties. Accordingly, they interpret the Michigan Constitution of 1963, Article 1, Section 3, and 5 as implicitly limited to protection against state action. If the citizens of Michigan wish their constitution, in addition to serving as a shield against actions of the state, to be used as a sword by individuals against individuals, there is a means by which that can be done, which is a constitutional amendment. To date, that amendment has never been proposed. Of course, the court did tell the Michigan legislature, and I paraphrase, the legislature, being of its superior fact-finding ability and general legislative authority, can more adequately deal with these problems concerning the conflicting interests of private individuals. This is the function of that body, and we may not presume that the legislature has any less concern for these issues than this court. We cannot, in judicial conscience, reinterpret our state constitution in a way that is contradictory to its fundamental purpose, its history, the intentions of its authors, the past decisions of this court, and more importantly, the understanding with which it was adopted by the people of this state. Struggling again to determine what level of credence to give the Michigan Constitution and its provisions compared to the similar language found at the federal level, the Michigan Supreme Court took up People v. Pickens when comparing the Michigan-provided right to effective assistance of counsel. Sidebar. Effective assistance of counsel means a defendant's right to have an attorney effectively work on behalf of the defendant's criminal case and in the defendant's best interest throughout the entire case. To paraphrase the Michigan Supreme Court, they said, It is a maxim that the object of construction, as applied to a written constitution, is to ultimately ascertain and give effect to the intent of the people in adopting it. This is so because when interpreting the law, it is the intent of the lawyer that it is to be enforced. Because the Constitution does not derive its force from the convention which framed, but from the people who ratified it. The intent to be arrived at is that of the people, in the sense most obvious to the common understanding. Often, to clarify meaning, the circumstances surrounding the adoption of a constitutional provision and the purpose sought to be accomplished may be considered. Without understanding both the origin and purpose of a constitutional provision, the court cannot properly protect the mandate of the people because words stripped of their context may be manipulated and distorted into unintended meanings. See, the Michigan Supreme Court believes that, quote, adherence to time-honored principles of constitutional construction is essential to prevent the unwarranted creation of Michigan constitutional rights. By examining the constitutional text, the structure of the Michigan Constitution, the circumstances surrounding the adoption, Michigan jurisprudence, and matters of peculiar or local interest, the court ensures that constitutional guarantees mandate their vitality without permitting the creation of rights from whole cloth. While this is a delicate matter, to hold otherwise grants the court the license to create constitutional law without a principal basis and in derogation of the constitutional order in which the people, not this court, create the fundamental law. If the constitution is unwise, it is for the people to amend it." Unquote. In conclusion, 
the Supreme Court found, quote, we are persuaded that we should not find that the Michigan Constitution grants greater protection than the federal Constitution with regard to identically worded provisions unless there is a compelling reason founded in history and the intentions of the document to do so, unquote. So there you have it, folks. The Michigan Supreme Court has looked at and debated how the Michigan Constitution should be read, interpreted, and enforced. The goal is to get into the minds of the 1963 citizens of Michigan and how they understood the provisions of the Michigan Constitution as written when ratified. The Constitution is there to limit state government, not private behavior and rely upon Michigan's past judicial case law when identical federal and state language mirror one another. The value to this podcast episode is to take a broad 30,000-foot overview of the Michigan Constitution because as we proceed, we'll be getting down into the minutiae. Consider this to be the painting of the background for a picture that we're about to create. If you've got show ideas or comments, please feel free to reach out to podcast at TonySnyder.com or find me, I'm on Twitter, I'm at Tony Snyder. The Michigan Constitution Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com, send an email to podcast at TonySnyder.com, or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.